the cafe got up and lit the lamp in his bedroom on the first floor. He also heard the providence as it got underway. At 4.30, the diesel engine of the tanker barge spluttered into life, but the boat did not leave for another quarter of an hour after its skipper had swallowed a bracing hot toddy in the cafe which had just opened for business. He had scarcely left, and his boat had not yet got as far as the bridge, when the two carters made their discovery. One of them was leading his horses out to the towpath, the other was ferreting through the straw looking for his whip, when one hand encountered something cold. Startled, because what he had touched felt like a human face, he fetched his lantern and cast its light on the corpse which was about to bring chaos to Deasy and disrupt life on the canal. Detective Chief Inspector Maigret of the Flying Squad was running through these facts again, putting them in context. It was Monday evening. That morning, magistrates from the Epenay Prosecutor's Office had come out to make the routine inspection of the scene of the crime. The body, after being checked by the people from criminal records and examined by police surgeons, had been moved to the mortuary. It was still raining, a fine, dense, cold rain which had gone on falling without stopping all night and all day. Shadowy figures came and went around the lock gates where a barge was rising imperceptibly. The inspector had been there for an hour, and had got no further than familiarising himself with a world which he was suddenly discovering, and about which, when he arrived, he had had only mistaken, confused ideas. The lock-keeper had told him, There was hardly anything in the canal basin, just two motor barges going downstream, one motorised barge headed up, which had gone through the lock in the afternoon, one boat cleaning out its bilges, and two Panamas. Then the tin tub turned up, with four vessels in tow. In this way did Maigret learn that a tin tub is a tug, and a Panama is a boat without either an engine or its own horses on board, which employs a carter with his own animals for a specified distance, known in the trade as hitching a lift. When he arrived at Dizzy, all he'd seen was a narrow canal, three miles from Epernay, and a small village near a stone bridge. He had had to slog through the mud to the towpath to reach the lock, which was two kilometres from Dizzy. There he had found the lockkeeper's house. It was made of grey stone, with a board that read, Office. He had walked into the Café de la Marine, which was the only other building in the area. On his left was a run-down café bar with brown oilcloth-covered tables and walls painted half brown and half a dirty yellow. But it was full of the characteristic odour which marked it out as different from the usual run of country cafés. It smelled of stables, harness, tar, groceries oil and diesel. There was a small bell just by the door on the right. Transparent advertisements had been stuck over the glass panels. Inside was full of stock. Oilskins, clogs, canvas clothes, sacks of potatoes, kegs of cooking oil and packing cases containing sugar, dried peas and beans, cheek by jowl with fresh vegetables and crockery. There were no customers in sight. The stable was empty except for the horse which the landlord only saddled up when he went to market a big grey, as friendly as a pet dog. It was not tethered, and at intervals would walk around the yard among the chickens. Everywhere was sodden with rainwater. It was the most striking thing about the place, and the people who passed by were black, gleaming figures who leaned into the rain. A hundred metres away, a narrow-gauge train shunted backwards and forwards in a siding. The carter had rigged up an umbrella on the back of the miniature engine, and he crouched under it, shivering with shoulders hunched. 
A barge hauled by boat hooks slid along the canal bank heading for the lock chamber from which another was just emerging. How had the woman got here? And why? That was what had baffled the police at Epernay, the prosecutor's people, the medics, and the specialists from records. Maigret was now turning it over and over in his heavy head. She had been strangled. That was the first sure fact. Death had occurred on the Sunday evening, probably around 10.30, and the body had been found in the stable a little after four in the morning. There was no road anywhere near the lock. There was nothing there to attract anyone not interested in barges and canals. The towpath was too narrow for a car. On the night in question, anyone on foot would have had to wade knee-deep through the puddles and mud. It was obvious that the woman belonged to a class where people were more likely to ride in expensive motorcars and travel by sleeper than walk. She'd been wearing only a beige silk dress and white buckskin shoes designed more for the beach than for city streets. The dress was creased.